back everybody to another episode of the tkw podcast we are your hosts i'm anthony corbo i'm kyle maggio and we're joined today by the ever famous tkw's bailey carlin how's it going guys welcome in it's going pretty swell so um yeah we 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 have to talk about that four overtime game did anybody watch the whole game? You got you got sick through to the end. I did. I only caught the Nixon sixty section. Unfortunately, I was vanity oh. shopping that night. So <laughs> yeah that that was that was intense to watch. Like I ordered a pizza in to go pick up at like the second overtime, thinking like, all right, it'll end soon, and then I'll enjoy it, and I'll go get my pizza, and it'll be nice and warm and steamy, and it'll come to be delicious. And it, no such thing because we went to four overtimes and that pizza was cold as fuck by the time I picked it up. Got to get that off my chest. I was ma- I was making gifs and it got to the point where I just I was like we were getting a lot of feedback on Twitter, then a little bit less feedback, and then by the end, our whole entire timeline was just can this game please end? Please can this game just end? I don't want to watch anymore. But I did. It was it was entertaining. It was so excruciating. But I was so ready to go when Courtney Lee almost knocked that three down to send it to five OT. Yep. I was I was fucking in it. I'm like, if you got me this far, I'm going for it. I am I'm sticking with it and I want to see a comeback. But alas, it wasn't to be. It was funny. My roommate it was, it was my roommate never watches games with me and my roommate was like, you know what? I'll watch this one with you. And he came like halfway through like the second quarter. He's like, I'll watch this game. And he was so heavily invested by the end. I think he was more invested at the end than I was. Because I'm like, nope, yeah. it's just the Knicks trying to find another different way to lose. Yeah, I got my girlfriend to watch it with me. Yeah. She was like laying the, right next to me the whole time. She was real. She was mad by the end of it, let me tell uh-huh. you. like She was not stoked about having to lay there watch a, watching the Knicks game for that long. Especially when it was like Brandon Jennings and Courtney Lee playing like almost 60 minutes each. Yeah. But uh, she, she watched it. She was into it. It was cool. No, when I caught up on the highlights afterwards, uh, after I saw the the rerun of it anyway, you know, because I was obviously keeping up with you guys in real time through the text, and then uh, it, it's sad that uh, a game like that, uh, which it is kind of a special game to go to four overtimes like that, and it, what gets overlooked is like Melo balled out. He had, you know, this is kind of the end here of a, a torrid stretch he's had. The last 10 or so games, he's been absolutely lights out, and um, he had 45 uh, I think he get what he fell out in double, the second overtime. Mm-hmm. But before yeah. that, before that, what he hit the the okay, shot at the end of the fourth quarter to tie it. He hit the shot at the end of the first overtime to tie it. So I mean, that's that that was a lot of fun to watch. Like that's mellow at his best. That's and especially after the first what twenty or so games, twenty five games, and he was inconsistent. He's really found some consistency here uh, over this last stretch, and that's kind of fun too. And it kind of it kind of reminds everybody that. He might be on the lower end of that upper echelon of stars, but he is still a star to some extent. So Definitely. It, 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 think, motivation behind it, him. it was fun to watch him rolling like that. It really was. Yeah, and things just kept happening in that game. Like KP fouled out, and you're like, ah, is Melo going to be able to carry this burden by himself? And then he did. And then Melo fouled out, and you're like, oh, who's going to carry this burden? Obviously, there's going to get blown out in this overtime. And then Courtney Lee hit that shot. 
And then, of course, there wasn't really too much to depend on anymore. But I think they just tired themselves out. Such a shame out. we couldn't. Such a shame that we couldn't rely on Joakim Noah down the stretch because he, of course, fouled out too. We, we can't rely um, on Joakim Noah to begin the stretch. Him fouling out, him, him fouling out was the best thing that happened to the Knicks in that game. <laughs> uh, yeah, because we finally got some Billy time in there. Uh, t- took I don't even know if he got into regulation, but he he got some good minutes out there. It's it's beyond um, me how the kids throwing up double doubles in. 17 18 minutes of time and then he goes i know he gets it he gets a do not play uh did not play coach's decision or whatever half the time or he plays a minute or two minutes if he's giving you a double double every time out then and he's not giving you anything defensively he's already better than joe kim no i don't understand what the de- there's not a debate at this point there's no debate he's just better than joe kim noah play him i'm just i'm tired of it 19 minutes he's putting up double doubles and joe kim noah can't get more i mean all he does is rebound and he's out there 30 minutes. No offense, no defense. It's disgusting. It's it's, it's an atrocity. Kyle, where do you stand on Kyle O'Quinn these days? I like Kyle O'Quinn. But the, the, the tide has changed. I'm, I'm a changed man. I'm reformed. Uh, I enjoy Kyle O'Quinn. Um, he is largely he's, he's largely consistent now. Instead of being largely inconsistent, he does pretty decent at worst things most of the time when he's out there now. And I, I think most of it comes well, in good? comparison to Noah. Are you good with him being like just pretty decent right now? Like, cause he was he was good for a while. Like, he was real good for a bit. Yeah, I, and, I don't think know, any, I think he's just kind of fit his role again lately. Like, but he's he's good. So, are you you good I, with him? You cool? Yeah, yeah. Cause I, the thing was, I, I was mad because he was he was young, and then it didn't seem like he was developing. He just kind of kept doing the same dumb shit. And maybe maybe he hasn't actually gotten better. Maybe it's just that Joe Kim Noah is so bad that I appreciate who Kyle O'Quinn is as a player more, but, <laughs> but um, it, it's all possible at this point uh, as a whole. I, I do enjoy O'Quinn more. He seems to kind of do the right things. He, he's a, he's there offensively. He, he scores in the post. He can shoot a little jump shot. I mean, he's versatile and then uh, he's good enough on the boards. And I, I, I'm just annoyed because I feel like this team or, they could be so much better just by going center by committee with with Billy and Kyle O'Quinn. You know, start Kyle mm-hmm. out there, let Billy play the longer stretches, and I feel like they would just be tremendous. It, it just, it, it's very sad that we have four years of Joe Kim Noah. It, and it just really when, it makes me sad. And we're, we're on the Noah topic. It's something I've noticed too, because I've been trying to find redeeming things about him, but in reality, I just keep finding reasons to hate him more. But he, very often, when it's him and KP down low, KP sets himself, gets himself up into a decent position to block a shot, and then Noah just goes in and wallops the guy. Like, I'd much rather ha- yeah. give KP a chance to maybe... I mean, cause there's no... KP's position defense is obviously spotty at times, but absolutely no one could argue that he's not an elite rim protector already, because he is. And a lot right. of the time, Joe Kim Noah just jumps in there, all out of control, and smashes into a guy before KP even has a chance to block yeah. a shot. <laughs> or reroutes a guy's shot, so he smashes into KP, and then KP gets called for a foul. It's brutal. It's just it's it's brutal. It's disheartening. It's sad. It's it's brutal. So I kind of want to uh, before we hop off that four overtime game too far. I want to get back into that box score because it, it's pretty ridiculous. But I'm gonna say this whole thing. I'm gonna preface it with the most ridiculous thing uh, to happen. Really doesn't show up in the numbers. It shows up in a DNP. Did you know that the Knicks played 340 minutes or? Yeah, something like that. There was 340 minutes around to go around to all the Knicks players, and Sasha Vujicic did not get one of them. 
Good. Four overtimes Good. and no Sasha. Can you believe it? Good. Yeah, I sort of can't, but I'm glad because it, it makes me very angry when I watch the Sixers, who are actually a, a fairly decent team at this juncture. You know, they signed him to a, a three-year deal. Three years, not just end of season. Three years. They saw enough to give them three years. And all season, our, our biggest weakness has been point guard. Still, despite Derrick Rose playing well offensively, he's given us nothing else. So... So still, point guard is our, is our shallowest and, and most inconsistent position. And, and we couldn't take a flyer on him for 10 days before sending him out to, to yep. Philly. It's, it's very frustrating because then you have, you have Sasha there for, for why. For, there's not a reason. No reason. He didn't even play. He didn't even play. And we didn't have – no, Derrick Rose didn't even play either. No. But, uh, you know, so that's – I mean, the, you're right in everything you're saying. Ron Baker obviously got some minutes. He played 16, but – you know, regardless, it's kind of it's the biggest weakness. You're right, and it's unbelievable to say that they had him in their back pocket and just let him go. Yeah, and to quote me in the piece I wrote about how they should keep Randall. Go ahead, quote yourself. And then they immediately spit in my face and traded him. I th- I think they let him go, not traded, but let him go. Twelve hours after me and Pete collaborated on that piece, but yeah, that was kind if of a Derrick Rose gets anyway, injured, please. all of a sudden their best point guard is Brandon Jennings, who's proven to be unreliable. And then after Brandon, Brandon Jennings is Ron Baker, who's never going to be a starting NBA point guard. And then what? And now, and then that game, we got to the, and then what? And they didn't even want to play Sasha, which whatever, like Sasha sucks. We all know that. It's not his fault the Knicks kept him. But it's infuriating to see a team like the Sixers, who have proven that they are, like they're putting themselves, it seems like, on a decent track. It seems just like another smart signing for them. And of course, neither of these teams are competing for a championship right now. But down the line, we hope they might be. And Embiid looks like a bona fide future superstar, and then who knows what Randall mm-hmm. might end up being to this team. Could be, you know, just part of their identity. You know, that that's worth something going forward. Mm-hmm. So, all right, but I want to take a look at this box score really quick before we forget about it because it's pretty. There's some interesting things going on here. We got first of all, I'm looking at the Knicks side. Uh, the one to play the most minutes was Brandon Jennings with 53 minutes. Uh, where he managed to pull a double-double out of 18 points and 11 assists. Um, yeah, so good, couldn't get any steals or anything else going on there, but he was kind of, <laughs> he looked pretty overmatched out there, I'd say. Um, Courtney Lee came right behind him with 52 on 17 points, and he had nine rebounds to go with that, too, and looked good down the stretch out there. I don't know, Wally said something about him having the clutch team. What do you guys think about that? I guess. You, you, I mean, I know it's. I, I'm not gonna make a one game sample off of having the the clutch team, but I guess it's good for TV. So. Do you think the? Uh, do you think that the three pointer to set it to five overtime has to go in in order for you to have the clutch gene? I would have given him that I, if he was like, oh, he proved Is to have the requisite? clutch gene today uh, if he hit two game tires. But Courtney Lee, no, no. He doesn't have a clutch gene. He doesn't. He takes. He's never averaged more than nine points, ten points per game in his career. So unless they're flying him off the bench just to hit game winners every single game, I'm not going to give him that. Props. Now, had he taken that three against the Wizards last week, then maybe. <laughs> True. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit more. But uh, no, no, you you don't get clutch gene for a, a double overtime shot. You don't. I'm sorry. Okay. Fair enough. There it goes. Uh, moving on. Joakim Noah managed to play 40 minutes last night, so got 14 rebounds, five assists. 
I don't know. I feel like he's going to – he plays 40 minutes. He's probably not going to play very much this coming week because that's got to be a lot of wear on him. 45 points for Mello. I hated Tim Hardaway Jr. in that game. Oh, my God, did I want to jump through that screen and just get him out of that game because he didn't, like – box scores didn't show up too much. He played 57 minutes, but he was just – I just felt like he was harassing – and I just got tired of looking at his face, man. And just, uh, ugh, thank God he can't really shoot free throws. And he was because. dishing the ball well. Like, since when does Tim Hardaway Jr. distribute? Well. He had eight assists. Yeah, he looked like uh, Boston uh, Celtics uh, Rajon Rondo out there at times. I did not know what was happening. That's uh, Budenholzer. God, I hate that, that comes guy. From, he comes from the, the Popovich family of coaching. So those guys are uh, pretty good with player development and whatnot. So if there's anywhere for him to land to become effective, Atlanta seems like a good place. There's a part of me that uh, wishes that Tim Hardaway Jr. was still on the show. At the, uh, was still on the team at the beginning of the show because I hate him. I hated him when he was a Nick. Like he was my least favorite player on the teams. I just felt like he was like a sham of the player that they were describing him to be. What? And he what kinda, did they describe him to be? They described him to be a, a shooter, sharp shooting, like you know, three point guy. But I just I felt like Smith was better. Shumpert was better. There's just something about him that, like, I was not upset when he walked. I feel like his expectations were set way too high. Uh, yeah, I, I was glad to see him go. But a part of me wishes that we could have had a dual Tim Hardaway Jr. Kylo Quinn segment because that would have been a lot of fun. I think people people were pining to try to make it look like the Knicks didn't waste a draft pick, too. They were like, oh, look, this that guy's going to end up being part, really yeah. good. We didn't waste another pick. And then he disappeared like everyone else, whether it be while he's on the Knicks or yep. whether he goes to another team. Yeah, I just was not huge on him uh, when he was here, when we got him. I'm not huge on him now. Anyway, moving on. Really, Paul Millsap is just the biggest one to talk about because he he played 60 minutes. He, I think, I forget who it was, but someone had played like 61 minutes, and that was the longest anyone had ever played in an NBA game before. Uh, so we almost watched history the other day, folks. Not quite. We had a good game, though. Almost had a triple-double. He had 19 rebounds. Holy shit. Yeah, and right, eight of them were process. offensive rebounds, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. My lord, that guy is a monster. Still don't think he should be an all-star, but yeah. Really? I, well, yeah, I, I don't know. I think Mel should have gotten it, but that's me. Obviously, I think Mel should have gotten it, but Millsap's good. No. But Mil- Millsap's never as good, I don't think, as anyone thinks he is. Like, he's always good, but he's always usually, like, the most effective player on a black team. I think, and it gets I kind of agree with you. I just I feel like that, this is his career year. You know, like this is the best yeah. I think we've seen Paul Millsap play in a long time. Yeah, I think I, I think I think it's kind of to Bailey's point. He's kind of like the Mike Conley of the East. Like mm-hmm. he's yeah. always he's always really really good, but he's never quite great. And then because of that, at some point you want him to be rewarded. So that's kind of where I think we're at with Millsap. Is like he's he's always really good. He's never. He's never great, great, but he's really good. And I think at this point, especially with like guys were pining for like KP and uh, Embiid, mostly Embiid, but KP too because his numbers are pretty much dead on with Millsaps. Yep. And um, the, the thing with the young guys is you can't really get mad. And I don't know how these writers who are older than us continue to get mad year after year. It makes no sense. Uh, the young guys don't get in unless you're like Blake Griffin and, and you come in and you're a game changer. Like, and you play 35 minutes a night and put up 30 points a night, you're not going to get in. And then guys get mad, but it's like a, it's like a veteran thing, like a status thing. And then eventually you eventually get some all-star votes later on in your career that you probably didn't deserve. Like 
look at Kobe the last four years, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't Legacy think we can picks. get mad about that kind of stuff when you're going to – and Bede's going to get rewarded in year 19 of his professional career after he has a long and great NBA career. He's going to get some votes that he shouldn't be getting. It's just how this works. So um, Millsap's kind of getting those now. He's on the tail end of his effective star career, and now he's going to get slide into a couple that he doesn't necessarily deserve. So, you know. All right. It is what it is. All right. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, I think we can all agree that Chris Sops Porzingis was not deserving of an all-star pick this year, though. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, Wasn't I, meant to be. You didn't did really play up to my it. Only, my only counterpoint to that is his numbers are literally exactly Paul Millsap's numbers, except that he blocks way more shots. Mm-hmm. So we can't really say he wasn't deserving when everything he's done has been in line with deserving an all-star bid. I, I just think well, I, y- you have to give something to, to winning as well, and I think that's probably where Millsap got the nod is he had comparable numbers plus a, a winning record. So, I think that's a fair point. I think also Millsap has managed to stay pretty hot um, moving forward, and Chris Stops has not really, had, uh, not really had a great time in January so far. Uh, we got his numbers. The only thing he's done really well is block in January. He's at almost four blocks a game, um, but a lot of that is due to him like have, leading the league in fouls right now and fouling out of uh, you know each of the last two games. He's at four and a half fouls a game in January. Um, what do you think is going on with that? I don't think he's healthy, first of all. Well, I just think what we're talking about, like uh, especially the fouling issue that he's had and, and maybe how that correlates to why he has so many blocks per game i think what's important to remember is that quote he had i think it was earlier this year or uh, last year when he said um well if i'm not scoring I, I need to be doing something else to to stay effective to stay in games to justify being in games so i think he knows he's struggling offensively so i think he's trying to block everything defensively and sometimes it's not really panning out thus the the fouling out the last couple of games but you know you take it with a grain of salt because the kid's averaging four blocks a game in January. So I think he's trying to overcompensate defensively to make up for the offensive woes right now. I agree. And I think you can see what he knows he's making mistakes. There's those type of big men who get a lot of fouls and they don't like, it doesn't seem like they know, like he'll go and he'll foul someone. Like he knows right away. It's not because the whistle blew, but he knew that wasn't a smart choice to make. So I think he's learning by default. The major thing that's been bothering me, like the number that looks the worst of me isn't even like the 14 points per game because you could attribute a little of that to Melo's increased scoring and increased output as well. Um, but like only 4.3 rebounds per game is unacceptable for someone who's seven foot three, and yeah. he's had a real hard time against some of these stronger guys getting in. Even if he's three, four, five inches taller than him, getting inside, getting in good position. Um, I do think part of that's affected by when he's on the court with Noah. Noah does grab a lot of rebounds. But there's no reason that they should be like the Knicks have been allowing a lot of offensive rebounds at times during certain games, and I think a lot of that he just needs to find rather than really searching for the rebound because he seems to look ball ball watch a little bit. He just needs to go put his butt into someone, push him back, and then hope for the best. Do you think uh, Do you think he's better on defense with or without Noah on the court? I feel like having Noah there kind of pushes him into making not as wise decisions if Noah's kind of in the spot that he wants to go to he's trying to compensate elsewhere that's kind of a tricky question though because when he's not in with Noah normally when he's out there with Noah usually he gets dragged out or stuck on the perimeter but when Noah's not in usually he finds himself closer to or at the center position so I think that's 
part of the problem maybe is is it, I think a lot of things I'm coming back to Joakim Noah, but I think it's mostly just a matter of you know getting him away from the perimeter because I think this month since they've gone back to him playing stretches at the five, maybe that has something to do with the four blocks a game. He's kind of sitting around the rim a little bit more, and he gets to take more stabs at trying to swat guys, you know. Yeah, it's like a give and take. When Noah's in there and he gets drawn out to the elbow or elbow extended, he tends to have blow-by, and guys get past him, and then Noah's there to clean it up. Um, but when he's at the five, there's not really anyone else on the Knicks, obviously, that's doing too good a job of defense out there. So he gets a lot of guys coming right at him, and he doesn't. he's not the type to try to get out of the way. So I think the blocks and the fouls are a result of that. And you... Pure ball. I mean, the Knicks. There's guards cruise right into the hoop. Slashers and wings cruise right into the hoop. So you're putting anyone who's at playing at the center in a really tough spot to try to deal with all of that sure. without fouling them consistently. But I think he's doing a pretty good job with that. Definitely a little overzealous at times, but also like I I have little to complain about there. Yeah, I think um, a lot. I think it's just all going to come back down to earth a little bit. You know. 4.5 fouls a game for the most part for a player like KP who's not like grabbing at guys on the court and not like, you know, throwing elbows around really. You know, that's kind of an unsustainable number. 3.8 blocks per game for the most part, especially if, if you're struggling like he is right now, is pretty uh, unsustainable as well. So I, I think it'll all kind of kind of even out after a while, but I do think that he's not entirely healthy yet. I think that plays a big part. I just he just doesn't look entirely right out there. I'm of the mind to just kind of. I know KP probably wouldn't even go for it, but I think if they do end up trading Melo, I I really hope that they just shut him down. I I really he's how many times has he sat already? Seven the little stretches. He's at two stretches. It was uh, KP, two, you mean? Yeah, KP. Like how many? Yeah, yeah, it was two, it was two stretches, seven games total, and yep. you know yep. I think it was like a month apart each one. Just. If it's not he right, he sat from he sat from the thirty first of December to the fourth of January, and then from the twelfth of January to the eighteenth. If, if yeah, it's not right, if sold. it's not right, just sit him. You know, this is almost a month now of it going back and forth. Just don't, please, don't force it. We're not going anywhere. We're eleventh. Just let it go. Yeah, I I don't think it has to be like a like a mellow length tankier shutdown, although that might be the best thing for the team. That's probably not the best thing for KP. I think it's contingent um, on if Mellow gets moved or not. If they move if they move Mellow, they're gonna wave the flag on the season and then I think anything kind of goes from there. Yeah, I think also in that though there's still value in playing Porzingis if he's healthy. He doesn't have to work as you know, take the load that he's been taking on throughout the you know, the beginning of the season. And you know, they might want to shut him down for more games or you know, shut him down for a week or two after the All-Star break and then bring him back in, like, to make sure everything's right. But I think he still has a lot to learn especially, uh, throughout the rest of the season. Especially because he's in such a development stage of his career. It starts right. to become scary when, it, just say, they... It's a it's a balancing act. You don't want to sit a guy for too long to hinder his development, but you also don't want to play him too much that he gets himself hurt and just creates further hindered development in the future. But you don't want a guy to fall into a trend of... Derek going, Rose. Yeah. You don't want a guy to fall into a trend of missing extended periods of time a couple times a year just to rest him. But that yeah. will be yet to be – that's yet to be proven. So we'll see that. If yeah. he te- really is an injury-prone guy, he didn't – I wouldn't call him that yet. But that's what happens when you don't treat right. injuries right. <laughs> sure. I mean, and he put he's putting a lot of pressure on himself too. You know, he was saying earlier in the year that he wanted to play 82 games. Um, obviously, that's not going to happen yeah. now. 
But, you know, I think he still kind of has that drive behind him where he wants to be giving as much as he can to the team at all times. It's like that quote you were just saying, how he's if he's not scoring, he has to go back to uh, doing the other things. Same thing applies. I think he wants to be on the court and helping the team as much as possible, but it might be the best help for the team for him to play a little less or take it a little easier. I don't know. We'll see. Do you think he should play in that Rising Stars game? No. Yes. No. I'm yeah. going to directly contradict what I just said, but yes. Just because okay. just because we're going to get Embiid, um, Porzingis, and Jokic on the same team. And, oh, shit. That's and right. That, and that has the potential to be so, so, so much fun. And um, they actually seem to take that game a little bit more seriously than the All-Star game typically goes. So um, especially with all this big man talk and Miles Turner feeling slighted at times and you know, Carl Anthony Towns and KP supposedly always having a rivalry that has really not yet come to fruition. So I'm kind of hoping that everybody kind of goes at it. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. It could be just a lot, just big men. All, all the good big men are in year one or year two for the most part. So that's kind of these rosters are insane. I'm just looking at this right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so the USA roster is going to be Devin Booker, Malcolm Brogdon, Marquise Chris, Brandon Ingram, Frank Kaminsky. Julia Okafor, D'Angelo Russell, Jonathan Simmons, Carl Anthony Towns, and Miles Turner. All right? And then we go to the world roster, which is way... I mean, that's a pretty cool roster, but this one's way cooler. It's Joel Embiid, Dante Exum, Buddy Heald, Nikola Jokic, Trey Lyles, Emmanuel Moutier, Jamal Murray, Kristaps, uh, Sabonis, and Sarek. Dude... That's gonna be. That's just like big dudes ganging up and just guys launching threes. I just think that's I. I just think is. you enlighten me right now. How good the Nuggets could be in a couple of years. Just hearing. You know like, what? I was I had yeah. not. That is not a team that I was thinking about. With you, three guys. They have three guys on that world team. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, no, the, a lot of the a lot of NBA guys on uh, Twitter yeah. are in love with what the Nuggets could be, and with those young guys, obviously centered around Jokic. Um, yeah. Is it Jokic or Jokic? kick i mean uh, let's not i, I, I had trouble right? with uh Giannis last Euro month thing? so i'm trying to get this squared away quickly <laughs> yeah. i think it's Jokic, right <laughs> Jokic. i think it's Jokic. yeah okay yeah. let's just go with Jokic. yeah let's go with Jokic. Yeah, at least he's, if he's wrong, real good i'm just gonna take you guys down with me so. i'm really glad i got moutier down because around like the uh 2015 draft i was having a lot of trouble there did you announce enunciate it as muddier or how did that i, I it's muddier like like I, I can't even think of it all the time because now it's just Moody to me. But now, yeah, I think I called I him Madai for a bit. That's horrible. Yeah, maybe so, something yeah. with that. I, no, I think and I'm and I'm trying like, to be an English was, teacher, so not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very bad. I was yelling like drunk at a party, and like I think one time I was just like, "Nah, man, Moody is the answer," and then it just stuck with me after that. Whatever um, gets you done is not the answer. Chris stops is the answer. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so that that's that. I might even watch that over the All Star game or something like that. That's that's some that's good shit coming up. Um, so I just want to so let's review where the Knicks are sitting right now. It's not pretty. They're twenty one and twenty eight. They're eleventh in the East. One spot above the they Heat. Have, yeah, they're the Heat are pulling so close to the Knicks right now. I just noticed it today. The the injury riddled and D League kind of filled. Miami Heat. That's that's who Chris Porzingis, Carmelo Anthony, and Derrick Rose are like three games ahead of. Just 
Just really, really, inter- as yeah. bad as you thought the Knicks could have been, it's laughable. I am that, not. That they're so <laughs> as close good as you thought they could I am be, not going to sit here and Goran pretend Dragic like you did not just make fun Hassan of Whiteside or just Deion Waiters, NBA Player of the Week. Miami Heat, okay? Because that happened. Deion Waiters was the NBA player of the week. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. That's right. First of all, they got Deion Waiters. He had a fantastic week, and I'm probably going to buy that T-shirt from the Miami Heat website. However, Paul Paul George should have been player of the week. He averaged like – they went 3-1, and and he averaged like 32.5 points. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Deion Waiters struck that pose, and he he I think he pretty much just got it off the principle of going viral Right then and there. Adam Silver decided he was like, give it to the kid. It's 2017. What's more important about a lot of retweets and a lot of favorites? Anything? Nothing. It is all about the brand. Um. So yeah. So they're ca- they're catching up quick. They might pass this at some point if Dion Waiters keeps being Dion Waiters, keeps waiting tables. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's okay. Um. All right. Um. So Kyle is talking a little bit about waving the white flag. Uh, what's the next step? Are, are we waving the white flag or are we moving forward? Are we trucking forward? We're just yeah. waiting on Mello at this point. I think you're just kind of waiting on Mello. I mean, this is, it's bad. It's not just, if they were like struggling to be 500, it'd be one thing, but they're what, seven games under now? I mean, it, yes, in, in all reality here, they're only a couple games out of the eighth spot. They'll be a couple games out of the eighth spot towards the end of the season anyway, but um, it's just not worth it. You you put this team together in a, in a last-ditch effort to kind of win now, you know, and, and you haven't. So if that isn't working, just scrap it. I think mm-hmm. that was the whole point was to give Melo another one last shot of, of here, we're trying to put a winner around you, and it failed like kind of miserably. This just might do it, yeah. Yeah, so I, I just think scrap it, let Rose walk, and see what you can get from Melo maybe in the offseason and try it again because this is just not working out. Well, we have all right. Well, they're playing the Wizards tonight, who are somehow just much better than anyone expected. Um, they're playing the Nets tomorrow. That might be a that might be a winnable game. Uh, and then then they have the Cavs at home. But see, I'm not too I'm not too worried about that Cavs game on Saturday because they're coming off like three days rest after that. I think maybe if they can get a couple of good games in against the Wizards and the Nets, they might just have the mindset to go in there and. Cavs got beat by the Mavericks, so I mean, there's holes. You can. You if there can was ever a time to get the Cavs, I, I guess this would be the time. But at the same time, they've beat the dog shit out of us two games in a row by 30 <laughs> points. So I'm not even going to get remotely excited about the possibility <laughs> of maybe keeping it close with them. If it happens, if it, I agree, this would be the time to catch them. But if it happens, great. If not, I, I mean, did we really, honestly, feel like it was going to go any different way? I will say though, I, I can't. they've struggled mightily on back-to-back days. They finally might mm-hmm. get a back-to-back win against the Nets. If there's a time to do it, it's like in a two-day span playing two games back-to-back. I think they could do it against the Nets because the Nets are absolutely horrific. Yeah, I, I do not disagree with you there. And after the Cavs game, they got uh, Monday against the Lakers. So uh, I want to make some official predictions here. Um, I'm feeling one in three. How are you guys? I I think that they can beat the Nets and lose to everybody else. Honestly, as optimistic as I kind of feel about the Cavs game, yeah, it's just the creeping reality starts coming back in. What do you guys think? 
I'm gonna go three and one, going crazy, going nuts. It, barring a mellow trade, they're gonna they're gonna because we deserve them to tank. Every week is just barring a mellow trade. Yeah, it's every moment of our existence as a Knicks fan. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna go three and one because I think something's gonna happen and they're gonna start looking good and Kristaps has to start shooting decently at some point and then it's they don't have Derrick Rose and sometimes they play super super well without Derrick Rose sometimes they play really poor you know what? I'm changing it two and two they're gonna go two and okay. two that's yeah. fair I'm gonna go with a much less optimistic two and two than Bailey had I just think <laughs> I just think the Wizards are on absolute fire right now right so don't, I'm not even I'm not even thinking about the possibility of, of a one tonight it's just it's not happening so let's Two and two, okay? And then uh, the, the Nets are the Nets. I mean, they, they'll probably play terrible in Brooklyn and still eat out a win because the Nets are a, a high school varsity team at this point with a Brook Lopez at center. So there's that. And then the Cavs, I just can't. I, I can't get my hopes up against the Cavs. I just can't do it. And uh, the Lakers are coming to New York, so probably. The Lakers are still young. They aren't even good right so now. So probably. So probably. So uh, I'm get, I'm giving you two probably wins. I'm not even hopeful at this point. <laughs> they just they they just that's what the season does to you. I mean, even even in the worst case scenarios, we're mostly like mostly a 500 team, probably a couple games lower. That's kind of <laughs> what everyone was thinking, and it's just you, it, it makes no sense to be seven eight games under. So so two and two maybe. I wouldn't be surprised with one and three because that's the way the season's gone. So. Uh, I'm gonna go with two and so, two. Oh yeah, but but like Dur- a really dry, sadistic two and two, like like not at all hopeful. Like a mm, like you win two games and still don't feel good about yourself. Two and two. Throwback to when we had Clem on and we talked about the Eastern Conference Finals and how we'd invite him back on the pod if they made it deep in the playoffs. <laughs> Rough. Uh, we can <laughs> we can get him for a, uh, a a lottery a live lottery edition when yeah, yeah. we eventually we'll we'll, we'll, we'll do the tank. I mean, <laughs> I'll climb back on any day of the week, but it's it's sure shit ain't going to be for the Easter Conference Finals edition of the TKW podcast. I know that much. <laughs> um, all right. So the real issue at hand now is Carmelo Anthony, of course. We're kind of all just waiting on him, waiting to see what happens between him and Phil and, you know, Boston and Clippers and Oklahoma City and whomever. Um, let's, so we got a couple of trades that we put together, Bailey and I did, and Kyle's going to kind of be our officiator here. Uh, and we're going to kind of maybe come to a consensus on, uh, you know, whether we could find a landing spot for Melo, if we can do Phil Jackson's job for him right here, right now. Um, do you want to start with one? Yeah, sure. So first one I have is the Clippers get Carmelo Anthony and the Knicks get Jamal Crawford Paul Pierce and Wes Johnson. Okay, why does that trade work for you? Um, I just think having Paul Pierce in a Knicks uniform would be hysterical, and forcing him to come play here would be really funny. Uh, Jamal Crawford is old and aging, at, but he still has another couple of years on his contract. I think he could be effective for a couple of years in his role. Um, and Wes Johnson is a good defender, proven good defender. Um proven guy who can make open shots isn't afraid to shoot isn't afraid to slash and get to the basket never going to be anything great but he's all he's been obviously hasn't lived up to being the fourth overall pick in the draft like he was but he's been a consistent presence since he entered the league um Knicks fans would get what they want which would be dumping of Melo's contract really fourth overall pick yeah, he's fourth overall pick it was a weak draft what he came he that? came after uh let me think he came after Derek Favors 
Uh, oh, that was like 2007, 2008, something like that. 2010, I want to say. Oh, 2010. That, that. Oh, yeah, that might. Have, yeah. The okay. John Wall draft. John Wall, Evan Turner, Derek yeah. Favors, Demarcus yeah, yeah, Cousins, yeah, 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 and then yeah. uh, West Johnson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So I mean, that Damn. would give some guys with a couple extra years on their contracts. Um, not guys you'd be dumping immediately, but at the same time. It's useful guys who I don't think would be like yeah you could maybe use to trade for a pick trade for something else later on because they're not completely useless like some of the guys on the Knicks roster right now. Okay. Um. Okay. I I have a similar one, but I want to save it because it's kind of my it's a three team one. It's kind of my out out there trade, so I'm not going to go with that. Right. Uh, Kyle, what what are your thoughts on Bailey's trade right there? Who was the other person? Uh, Wes Johnson. Paul Pierce and who? Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford. Do you want the world to burn? I don't. So, so we're gonna put first two things. So we're gonna put <laughs> we're gonna put Paul Pierce in a Knicks jersey, which is just that that. If we're trolling weird. the season, why not just troll hard? Honestly, no, no, that, his sole, his sole purpose to live for several years was to watch the Knicks burn, and we're gonna okay. So so no to that, but. Um, did you want Wes Johnson just because he came from Syracuse? What? Yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I figured as much. I just wanted to uh-huh. clear that up and get that out there. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely not. Under no circumstances are they going to pull the trigger. And then, I mean, and then Jamal Crawford, which is just like a bag of bones at this point. So, so, so no. Three. I mean, do do we get picks in this trade? Like all of them going forward? Like. Oh well, after I mean the this, only the only basically 2021 to Paul Pierce. 2021 is the earliest pick you can get from the Clippers. So yeah, sure, it, a 2021 it, first round. If we're gonna sell our soul to Paul Pierce, I think we should get all of Los Angeles's picks 21, uh, 2021, and and thereafter. I think we just their picks now become our picks, and that's just maybe till like the end of the decade because that's the only way I would take Paul Pierce under any. All right, screw it. You know what? You know what? I'm going to throw my Clipper trade out there right now. So here's my trade. It is a 10-player trade um, between three teams, the New York Knicks, the Los Angeles Clippers, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Hear me out. Hear me out. I won't. So the Knicks get Austin Rivers, J.J. Redick. All right. That sounds not bad. Uh, Wes Johnson, Paul Pierce, and uh, DeAndre Liggins. Uh, the Clippers are going to end up with Carmelo Anthony, Iman Shumpert, and Richard Jefferson when the Cleveland Cla- the Cleveland Cavaliers get uh, Jamal Crawford and Raymond Felton. Does it kind of make sense, though? I mean, the Clippers get mellow. Knicks get some like young guys back in return. Uh, Cavs get their playmakers. They got like two guys who could potentially be playmakers, and they could you know do whatever they want with it with whichever one. They both fit the cl- kind of Cleveland bill. Um, yeah. Thoughts? I mean, it's it's significantly better than <laughs> than Bailey's trade. But again, um, you vile pieces of shit. If you're gonna throw in <laughs> Paul Pierce to, to come to the Knicks, it's uh, did you? It, there was like so many other players you could have thrown in. I feel like for that buddy, like Bryce not Johnson, really. probably could have worked. Like, not really. I'm just like the people who I expect the Clippers to be willing to move. Like they're only gonna get rid of like all of Austin Rivers, JJ Redick, and Jamal Crawford, 
if they get back like a significant shooting guard in Chumford and they manage to dump Paul Pierce on somebody. That's how I'm looking at it. Well, I, I, that's not a, any world where Paul Pierce comes right, to the hold, Knicks hold is not a world where I want to live in. And uh, but but other than that, I, I like Austin Rivers uh, much to everybody's dismay. Of he, he actually is a solid, pretty decent NBA player, and um, you need youth is the point for this team. New, youth and perimeter defending, and him and Wes Johnson do that. I like having JJ Redick, but he's likely just going to be a rental, and he's likely going to be looking to you know, cash out on a contender anyway. So I think at best you get him for half a season. So uh, while the money probably checks out, I, I don't want to take a, a shot on something that's going to walk anyway. So, but um, overall, yeah, I mean, if you get the opportunity to sign uh, a JJ Redick and he's on the team already and you get a couple young guys, I think that works out. Um, I know that's the most I mean, likely scenario for, I feel like the draw uh, is, anyway. I feel like the draw to that trade is like you get Austin Rivers for a couple more years. Who, like you said, is manageable at least. He's way. I think he's definitely kind of a, a tier higher than Brandon Jennings and Derrick Rose. I disagree. No, on barely that, shaking his head. I disagree but. on that. But yeah, I'm just really low on Brandon Jennings lately. I'm also very low on Brandon <laughs> really Jennings, low. but I'm also consistently low on Austin Rivers. Okay, uh, Austin, enough, Austin Rivers enough. is an above-average de- uh, defender at that position, and he could actually get to the rim and score and shoot a little bit, which he can at least do a little of everything while defending well, which we can't say the same about any of our guards at this time. That's true. He has I proven mean, to be an effective three-point shooter. You know what really sucks about trying to put this trade together? It's all a bunch of ex-Nicks that we're trying to make this work with. It's and like Raymond Felton, Jamal Crawford, Iman Shumpert, uh, like, yeah, and, and then Paul Pierce. But it's it's just like... Well, I no think, one wants to come back here. Well, Once I you think, leave, like Felton's already done it twice. He's not coming back, and no one wants him back. Well, that's kind of what I think Herring touched on when we had him on, you know, a couple months ago. Was that the turnover for the Knicks is so much higher than like I, I know it's not just in basketball. It, it's for like some other leagues too. Like the Knicks have such a high turnover rate every year, year after year after year after year. We just turn guys over. So yeah, there are so many guys who have been here in the last like seven or eight years that it's hard to not trade for a guy even with the Cavaliers like no matter where you look like it was like you know which deal works out perfectly for Melo is if they send us J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert back like that straight up works those two just for Carmelo that works so yeah. so that goes to show I mean yeah and for that deal they probably would do it if the Knicks were gonna bite that's weird that's that's crazy to think about really think about that we we don't that's... we had a fire sale to get rid of them and then Money-wise, it could work. You know, it just it makes you think and also it's throw up in your mouth a little bit. So it's infuriating. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next one. Where I guess Kyle, we're not getting anywhere with these trades now. We got a big thumbs down from you. Absolutely not. I have one, Kyle. I have one, Kyle. Kyle yeah. would do. All right, let's go. All right, so Mello to the Celtics for Avery Bradley and Amir Johnson. Straight up. No picks? I would do that. No picks, assuming that the Celtics don't see the fifth overall pick or whatever they're going to end up with higher than that. Their top pick from the Nets being of value to get Carmelo. The way they're acting in the media, at least, from what the media is portraying. So they wouldn't get a pick. Maybe a future pick, but probably not. It it doesn't need to be this year's pick, but if we get something between now and 2019... You know, or at least a couple like second round. I mean, they have an abundance of picks. I think if they really 
wanted Melo and they're willing to part with somebody, it, I, I would probably I would probably bite for that because even straight up and at least out of these deals so far that you guys have given me because um, and I kind of wrote about it a little bit uh, in the piece that I had out today. Um, the the Knicks need to be willing to or they need to try to find a, a young perimeter defender somehow, a guy who's above average, a guy who's is actually pretty damn good at doing that and I think between that and Amir Johnson that kind of signals a move that you want KP to maybe play more at the 5-2 you get a nice bruiser to go next to him at the power forward slot now that you don't have Carmelo you don't got to worry about him playing down there either or forcing him down there so you can try to tinker with that a little bit and then and Bradley you get not only a elite perimeter defender but you get a guy who's turned out to be a a pretty good guard overall and a damn good shooter so I think for that and he's like a dirty work guy, you know? He's like a... He's kind of like what Courtney Lee is supposed to be for us now, except like twice as good. So I, I would I would probably do that trade. And I will say, too, you, you could add Jalen Brown to that trade, and it would still work, too. So... What, what I what I proposed today in, um, in the piece I put out, I think I had Amir Johnson, Marcus Smart, and there was a third guy in there, too. I, I think Jay it was Crowder, maybe? Work. I think it was Jay Crowder. And... Mm-hmm. I did that because I felt like you give Amir Johnson up and, and Crowder because, you know, Melo's got to play somewhere. He's going to eat up somebody's minutes and the money works with those guys. They're likely to get redu- uh, reduced minutes anyway. So odd man out kind of thing. And then I, I kind of figured if they're going to give up Crowder, they wouldn't want to give up Bradley too. So who's the lesser of their defensive-oriented guard? It's Marcus Smart, who can pretty much just play defense and never hit a three unless it's against the Knicks and under the final minute. So... I figured that'd probably be the only way that it works out. And then if they want to sweeten the pot with like an extra pick or something, if you're getting three guys in it and two of them are young and Crowder and and, and smart, I don't think you need a pick. But, um, you know, I I think that would also be a deal that would work as well. And I I think what's overlooked is Boston. I think we brought this up in the chat one day too, is that they're likely to work out anyway in, in a trade for Mello if they can't land Jimmy Butler like they've been trying to do. Because... That gives him the option to to go to a contender that's only three hours away from New York anyway. So he'd be close to where he wants to be while playing for a contender. So he doesn't really have to uproot everybody. Yeah, I I think that's kind of like Melo's best option regardless. I feel like him joining the... Would him joining the Celtics, if they give up like, let's say like Crowder and and like... Yeah, we'll do like Crowder and Avery Johnson or someone like that. Like, does that... um Or Avery Bradley, rather. <laughs> Does that uh, make it like enough? Do they get to Cleveland level, or do they need uh, do they need a little bit more even after that? I, I don't know because because that team Matt Moore put out a piece today about um, about kind of where they're at defensively. It, it started with uh, Isaiah Thomas in the fourth quarter, and then it kind of stretched to defensively, and all of their woes. It, there's no causation explicitly stated but there, there's a lot of correlation to um, Isaiah's on the floor and no matter how many points he scores or how awesome he is they're bad with him on the floor no matter what lineup it is so I, I'm not sure it, I'm not sure they're really going to ever get to a Cavalier level but I think giving a guy like Carmelo kind of helps them in an arms race that's kind of the way I worded it in the piece I wrote too um, mm-hmm. I, I think at this point with, with the Cavaliers and the Warriors they're trying to to move the ball on you quickly. They're trying to play fast pace and shoot threes and get up and down the court. 
at some point you almost just got to go offense for offense because you're not going to stop these teams. You're really, are you really going to stop Kyrie Irving no matter how uh, you know what kind of defender you are? Probably not. Isaiah Thomas. You, you can slow him down a little bit, but that's about it. Are you going to stop LeBron James? No, no one's stopping LeBron James. So basically, I think you just got to hope to kind of go you know arm for arm here and just try to match him with some offensive firepower. I think if you put Melo with them, yeah, you sacrifice on defense, but they're already twentieth defensively. How much worse can they really get? Yeah. If you're going to play Isaiah for long minutes, you're still not going to be great defensively. So you know what? Fuck it. Get some more offense out there. Spread the floor a little bit. Shoot some more threes with a better shooter and mellow, and hopefully it works out. I really do think that Celtic, like if the Celtics adding, I don't think the Clippers have any reason themselves really truly to add mellow, but I do think the Celtics become a very good team, like a, a next tier team if they do add him. Even if they just, if they add him and he's, Ready to, uh, but then it's tough at the same time too because Isaiah Thomas is a score first point guard. I think he only averages six something assists or six point something assists per game. So who knows? But, but I do think too, they get infinitely better with him. But, but look where they'd be putting him too, because if you move, let's say you got to give up Amir Johnson, you got to give up a, a Crowder, you know. So you could move Horford to the center full time instead of you know switching on and off at forward, and then you put Melo immediately. At, you could say if you're Brad Stevens and he optimizes where he plays guys. Then you could just throw him full time at the the four. So now you got Melo playing his best position for offense and defense. So he's not going to exert a ton of energy. He could spread the floor a little bit offensively too. And then, um, you know, it, it, I think it actually it helps the offense, and I don't think it really hurts the defense too much because they already aren't good anyway. So I don't think like playing with Isaiah really is going to hamper him too much because we said the same kind of thing about Derrick Rose being a score first point guard mm-hmm. and Melo's still getting what 23 24 a night mm-hmm. so I, I yeah. think and Horford doesn't even need to score anymore at this point he's getting like 10 11 points a game so I, I don't think that's really something to get caught up and I think Melo's going to get his regardless because he's getting him now with a, with a similar score only point guard offense only point guard mm-hmm. I agree I also kind of think that anywhere that Melo ends up going is going to they're going to want to play him at the four I don't think it's any secret to anyone in the NBA at this point that his most ideal position, and I think the position that he's best fit to just kind of slot into any team with is him uh, just wrecking it at the four. Um, And actually, that kind of leads into my next trade, which is not, before I say this trade, this is not one that I think is realistic or will actually happen. This is just one that I was kind of going through and put together, and I thought, oh, this would be kind of interesting. So there's my disclaimer. Here we go. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, Courtney Lee, and Billy Hernan Gomez to sweeten the pot a little bit for Nick Batum and Marvin Williams. What do you think that does for Charlotte, though? Kind of you is that? I mean, I don't think Melo's going to going to say, hey, "Yeah, I'll waive my no trade clause and go play for the Charlotte Hornets," unless like Jordan gets involved somewhere along the way. Say the whole uh, trade again. It's it's pretty simple. It's uh, Carmelo and Courtney Lee would be the main pieces. I threw Billy in there too, kind of as like some young talent going back towards Charlotte's way. And then it would be Nick Batum, Marvin Williams, L and the uh, um, Charlotte's twenty eighteen first round pick. I I almost uh, I'm almost of the mind that Charlotte might do that without um, Courtney Lee. I think they kind of got their perimeter situation figured out. And I think um, maybe they, they kind of need a center. I know Hibbert plays 
some some pretty good minutes for them, and he's not really the best anymore. Zeller's so, starting. You know, Zeller's starting, and he's pretty much just setting screens and, you know, uh, cutting to the hoop. So I think Billy would kind of give them a, a more optimal big, but um, I, I think if My you get a first-rounder out of it, I think that might be worth it for um, – I, I don't know, because actually I, I, Batum's got to get up there in age too, isn't he? Is he 28, 29? He's get he's just about there. The reason why I feel like Knicks would be hesitant to bring him in is uh because he's he just signed that contract. He's got, you know, four years after this one with like twenty million plus on, uh sitting on it. Um I do think he'd be a good he, fit, he has though. been kinda killing it. Like I the do the only other thing is to like this might be a move that I would consider because Charlotte wants to like maybe clear some salary if they th- see things if they start thinking things aren't really working out. Uh, because Marvin Williams has uh, four years remaining at you know over twelve million each year on there too. Um, Courtney Lee kind of gives him the starting shooting guard because the only person they have behind Batum really is uh, Bellinelli, and I don't think anyone wants to be competing in the playoffs with Marco Bellinelli starting for their team. No, I'm... Um, and I'm imagining Melo just kind of slotted into the four spot that Marvin Williams would be letting go of, uh, so he could play next to uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist. <laughs> I mean that's that's it's just I an guess, interesting kind of team. That's that's all right, I guess. I, I don't I'm not in love with it. I, I don't like taking Marvin Williams and Batum back. It's kinda you know, we're kinda doubling down at the same position for two guys who kinda we know what they are already. I like Batum as a player a lot, but it, we're kinda rebuilding and I, I don't see the need for Batum, I guess. It makes a lot of sense for Charlotte. It doesn't make as much sense, I think, for um I think I was kind of looking at it from Charlotte's viewpoint anyway, like more so. But I think that the reason I think Batum makes sense is because the Knicks were going pretty hard at him, uh, you know, earlier in the summer anyway. Or, you know, he was talked about a lot beforehand. Um, along Like, along with that, the um, I just feel like with the amount of time that he has left in his contract and how, like, minimal, uh, minimally used he can feel comfortable being on the court he might be able to extend the value of his contract a little bit longer to where the Knicks might actually be a little bit competitive towards the end of that. And he could provide a big help. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's a, um, well, an interesting scenario. It's kind of been running through my head. I, I like that one. Not so much. I, I like getting a pick, but I, I don't like the return on it. What we talked about the other day in the chat, which was interesting, um, is Oklahoma city. Yeah. And I thought, they would be sort of an ideal dark horse because, you know, if you look at Oklahoma City from the surface value, they're, they've always been a very kind of conservative team. Like, they don't do it. There's not a lot of big trades. There never have been because they've always, outside of the James Harden deal, you know, and even then, you know, the jury was kind of out on if people thought Harden was going to be a star or not. So, mm-hmm. remember, he was coming off the bench. So, they haven't ever really had any blockbuster kind of trades. It's always been build through the draft and a little tweak here and there, a little small signing here and there. So this would be, if they did, it would be the first real blockbuster trade. So then I threw together two that I put out, which is the same trade minus one player for each scenario, which is just uh, Cantor, Sabonis, and Roberson for Mello. So that's three relatively young guys for for Mello. And then I did uh, Cantor and Sabonis again, but this time with uh, Cameron Payne. So... Do Can you, you trade guys... Cantor right now while uh, he's hurt? Well, I think I think you can if 
somebody wants to. I think. Okay. I, I used to think that wasn't the case either, but apparently, if I think it depends on the severity of the injury. I think the fact that he's going to come back this season, I think it's fine. Uh, there just has to be a market for the player because sometimes if it's too sure. severe, it's like an ACL, then you can't just pawn him off on someone. But, um, but the money checks out for that kind of deal. You know, Cantor's salary plus a couple of young guys. So would that that's be probably, something probably... that the Knicks bite on? And I'll jump in on realistic like trades that I've heard. I like that one a lot. And I could jump on top because my last, my third one was very similar. Kyle, it was Melo and Kyle O'Quinn to the Thunder for Cantor and Oladipo. The money checks out there. See, I would love to get Oladipo. I'm just concerned that I'm concerned because Oklahoma City kind of overachieved so far mm-hmm. this season. So. Maybe, especially Oladipo was out for a little bit, and now he's back. So I'm concerned that maybe they think that they're a piece away kind of thing. And if they give Oladipo away, then that might set them back a little bit. But I do, I would love to get Oladipo. That's kind of like a dream scenario. That's probably the favorite guy of all the trades we've talked about that I, I'd mm-hmm. like to get. I've I've really liked Oladipo for a while, um, and and I just want to try to I, I like. The, the pain or Oladipo scenario is better because I think you got to try to get a guard here as like a, a fail safe. Try to get a pick and try to get a guard so that if whatever guard you end up taking in the draft doesn't work out, you at least have a guy in pain, although he might not be fantastic. He's at least capable of playing and starting at point and, and not being the end of the world for a little while. You know, yeah, so that's, I think that's, that would be something to think about too. Yeah, and that's what I thought with Oladipo. Worst case scenario, he could play point guard for you if you wanted him to. But I just, yeah, I also yeah, think I, like... I love Oladipo. Yeah, and I I think the Thunder, like, they know how good the Warriors are right now and how good the Warriors are going to be for a long time. So I could see them kind of just saying, F it. And just because imagine putting Melo next to Russ. Do I think it would be a great fit? I don't know. Like, it would be crazy. But just having that deal with that kind of offensive firepower, I think they could at least break off big winning streaks against teams that aren't superb defensively. But I think it helps more. I think it helps more than they get helped with Cantor right now because I know Cantor and Adams are formidable. You know, I we saw it firsthand when they came to the Garden. They yeah. tore us apart, uh, uh, rebounding on both ends of the floor and second chance points. But um, at the same time, if you can kind of neutralize one or both of those guys and then just kind of like let Russ beat you with twos, that's a good formula for success against OKC. But Stephen Adams is a terror and he's going to keep getting better. So you can kind of sell high on Cantor right now because he, he's kind of what he is. Because they kind of don't best. need him. They kind of don't need him anymore no. with how good Steven Adams is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think maybe you sell high on, on Cantor and that big salary, get him out to a rebuilding team. He can come to us and just get buckets to play alongside Chris Stapps and we don't care. We're rebuilding anyway. And then at that point, you have Steven Adams just wreaking havoc down low. You know, that gives Russ a little bit more freedom up top with Melo out on the wings. That's It's extra breathing room. So it could work for them. Too, I, I don't think this organization would do it. They've been too conservative, but it, it is really fun to think about because I think it makes most sense, the most sense for both these teams, to be honest, and maybe any of these uh, other scenarios where we're kind of trying to push the envelope a little bit on it. Yeah. I do have one more, and I think it's kind of, I think it's pretty realistic, and I think it kind of makes sense for both teams. Um, because, like, kind of piggybacking off what you were saying about the, you know, we're tanking right now. Who we get back kind of probably shouldn't be too important as long as they're on relatively uh, short salaries, unless they're like a prospect or, some, or something like that. So um, I think that the Houston Rockets would make for a very interesting trade partner right now because they're contenders. 
they uh, they could use one more piece to put him in line with a, with a Golden State. I feel like they're kind of the their biggest threat right now out there in the West. Um, Melo and can get a property down there and keep all of his money with no income tax. <laughs> and which you know it's a big thing for a lot of players. I think it played into like Dwight's decision and stuff like that too. But well, well, even what LeBron, I'm thinking remember. is, what's up? I said even LeBron remember. Everyone yeah. thought everyone thought it was going to be like oh Knicks because the Knicks or uh, Miami, but New York was like twelve and a half percent. Miami was zero. It's yeah. A lot of money. Yeah. So anyway, what I'm thinking is uh, Trevor Ariza, Corey Brewer, uh, McDaniel's, and Decker, um, and also the 2018 first round pick of the Houston Rockets because that's going to be late and they don't really need it anyway. Um, and then going out to them would be Melo and Justin Holiday. Um, mostly for salary purposes, but also Justin Holiday would kind of patch up the hole that you'd create as shooting guard for them. Um, I kind of like it because Ariza, Brewer, and McDaniels only have two years left on their contract. Um, and you know, even McDaniels, I think, could still show some flashes. So I think he could be something. Um, and then Decker's got three years at like no money, and he, I think, he still might be a player too. So I I don't know I don't know if Houston would be willing to do it if they'd be willing to give up a little bit of youth and some veterans to like make a pretty deep try to win now move into the finals against Golden State but or uh, the Western Conference Finals against Golden State but I think I think there might be something here that can work out for both sides. I'm only hesitant on that because basically that team is full of guys just catching and shooting right now. So that's sort of hesitant for two reasons because for for that reason but also Melo be ha- uh, would have to waive his no trade clause to go play with Mike D'Antoni who right I remember I, that I was thinking of as well and I feel like for a legitimate chance to take a, to get past Golden State I think that the two guys can kind of but, put their differences but they'd aside. have to have a, a big long talk beforehand and, and that would also be requisite on Melo fitting in with their system I don't think D'Antoni is going to allow him to come in and be the same guy again. It's, it's like, hey, if we're going to trade True. you, you're going to be a three-point shooter. You're good at three-point shooting. You'll get looks, but you're going to be a three-point shooter mostly. So but that I might kind of work for him because, I mean, Melo has to – I think Melo, after dealing with Phil for the last couple of years, you know, probably could get along a little better with D'Antoni. I think that they might have honestly had a better relationship than Melo and Phil, and Melo might just be like, you know what? Screw it. This guy's better than, than that guy. Also, on the second note, I kind of, as much as Melo might be more effective at the four, I feel like he still prefers to play at the three and be more of a three-point shooter and kind of knock it, you know, down low as far and, like, get banged up and maybe sacrifice years off his career. I feel like that's something he could buy into. I mean, I I hope so, because that that's a great landing spot for Melo if, if he buys in a little bit and... I like Decker as a player, too, and getting a pick, so I think that could be worth it. Yeah, I think if this was happening next year, maybe. But I don't think Melo's quite there yet, and justly isn't quite there yet, to where he's kind of figuring out what his decreased role on a team is going to be. Like, what kind of role... Like, Vince Carter's role. that he, Vince Carter's still playing, still climbing up that all-time scoring list as a guy who just kind of camps out and hits threes for a team. You know what I mean? Hangs out in the perimeter, he'll hit threes every once in a while. Melo's obviously a good deal younger than him, but... I don't think Melo has truly or hasn't acted and shouldn't have acted yet. Like he was trying to figure out what his role as a veteran, if he wants to be one. I could also see Melo, honestly, as a guy, one of the guys who wants to retire when he's still effective and still very effective. 
He doesn't strike me as the type of guy to hang around too long. But he also hasn't showed many signs of losing his physicality and losing the ability to be a very good player. I mean, he was slightly inconsistent at the beginning of the year, but his averages are now, like, he's pulled his averages, which is hard to do, up to almost to where they've been the last couple of years. So I think getting him to commit to just buying into a system and being like, screw it, whatever, I'll buy into a system, my play doesn't matter. I think he still knows how much of a game player and like a game changer he can be. I agree. I, I just think that it's not so much creating a new skill set for him and asking him to do, you know, something he's never done before. Like this is a big part of his game and like the other parts of his game aren't going to be lost in there either. Um, it just kind of, I feel like, it, you know, as much as everyone talks about, he might not be a guy who needs a title or anything like that. I think if he sees the opportunity and right now when he's kind of starting to get pretty fed up with the Knicks and how everyone's kind of treating him, he, I, I just think that the time might line up for him to be like, you know what, I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to get the, uh, I'm going to try to get that win and, mm-hmm. you know, everything else be damned. So I guess that's kind of that's kind of all I got, Kyle. Do you got a do you have a winner? Or did in, all in of a, them just kind of in, in a, per, in a perfect world we'd get something from OKC. It's a very young, very fast team, and they they would have the assets to do it. In, in a perfect world, I, I'd like uh, I like Bailey's Oladipo trade probably the most. I, I think that's the dream scenario. Um, yeah, I'd probably I'd probably lean that way. You, you want to get for me? It's mostly about just guard play we've had such bad guard play for so long and if we're really going to do a rebuild right it starts there and Oladipo kind of takes the cake there for me I'd like to see and he's like a pick and roll point guard too I mean imagine a pick and roll with Oladipo and KP and then yeah you know that that, that'd be fun so I'd like to see that and uh, yeah so I'd lean there I I guess I have a follow-up question to you guys would be do you think it's wiser to trade Mello before the trade deadline or sit tight knowing what we know now about the likely scenarios where he's going to go and how these aren't really great. We're basically talking ourselves into which one we like the most out of a bunch of bad scenarios or not great scenarios. So um, do you guys think it's it's better to try to force it now and just go full tank early? Or do you think it's better to go and, you know, wait till the summer. We already know this is a bad team. We're going to have a pretty decent pick anyway. Maybe we'll try again in the summer when there's a little more leverage. I think he can't walk. You know, he has more time on his contract. So I would recommend sticking through the summer because as much as you can he's around till 2019 you might still get a pretty high pick even with him playing and playing well they're still losing a lot of games especially if they decide to shut kp down and let Melo keep playing so i would say hang on to him see what you can get this summer um see if he's comfortable falling to a more veteran role because i just don't see that like of course his money and his contract would clear up a lot of space but guys are also getting a lot bigger contracts than that now with the new CBA, there's going to be, and I just don't realistically know. I just would rather them maybe be eh for a couple more years with Melo on their team. Of course, it's easy for me to say I love Melo, rather than not be able to sign anyone of any prominence in free agency and just end up being mediocre without Melo, I guess. Because I just don't see them getting really better right away. But I'm also cynical on how the draft works. And I also think they're still going to be able to get a top 10 pick this upcoming year. I um I definitely agree that the best move for the team would be to hold on to Melo and like kind of you know dangle him a little bit like they're doing now, but I just feel like after 
you know, so long and the guy's sticking with the team for for a while, you got to kind of be open with them. You know, if they're kind of – I think that they're mistreating him right now uh, with all he's kind of done for the team. It's just kind of like – it's not the same scenario, but it reminds me of how Patrick Ewing kind of pushed Bernard King out the door. You know, it wasn't so much a, uh, you know, it wasn't an intentional thing or anything like that. But when, like, the favor of the franchise shifted to Ewing instead of King, you know, it, it just led to more things down the road where, like, you know, people don't know how to have an opinion on Bernard King anymore or anything like that. I just think that Melo started to kind of carve a little bit of a legacy in New York. Um, and he's been around for so long through so much change. So you got to do right by him. If he wants to, if you're telling him all these things, and at this point he just wants to be traded and he wants to get out of here, I think you should trade him at the trade deadline and see what you can get for him, uh, because you're already in this deep. If you know he's okay with playing out the rest of the season, you tell him that we're going to try to trade you again in the summertime around draft time, you know that, and he's cool with that. Then so be it. That's probably the best move. But you got to do right by him. Because I think it's also easier too in the off season. Teams don't know what they're still going to be by the trade deadline this year. Teams don't know if they truly are championship contenders. Teams don't know um, if they're going to be like a team that decides to maybe tank and look for a better pick or a lottery pick. So it's tough to commit to blowing up your roster when you still it's still because the trade deadline's pretty early when you still don't know what's going to be going on for the rest of the year. Especially when we're talking about a team like the that's like the Clippers, like the Celtics, like the Rockets, who are legitimately going to try to contend to go to the finals this year. I think it's tough to ask a team to blow up their roster, but in the offseason, teams are more likely to be okay with a reset. Uh, I'm still yeah. holding – we didn't talk about them at all, and you know we don't need to get into depth about it today, but I was still holding out hope that uh, the Grizzlies would throw together some sort of package because that's like I, – I, I can't think of a better fit – I don't know how far he'd take them or help them, but Mello on the Grizzlies could legitimately be very fun. And they, they've been in need of like a scoring, a, a legit scoring forward for a very, very, very long time. And I think it'd be fun to give them one last, all of them. It'd be like, they're all around the same age. Zebo, Gasol, Mello, yeah. even Conley's getting up there. It'd be like one last hurrah to let those old guys try to like really push for it. So I think it could be fun, but I don't think it'll happen. It, that would be fun. I don't think it would really. I don't think it fits the bill of contender enough with Mello, but that would definitely be a fun team to watch. Yeah. All right, we got anything else today? I think that's. I think that's about it for us. Um, let's get some plugs out there then. Um, y'all, you listeners know that you can go and and check out the previews and recaps for every single game over at the nextwall.com. Uh, and while you're over there, check it out. We're kind of getting a new site uh, redesign done right now, trying a couple of things out. So kind of stay tuned with that. We should have some some pretty cool things coming up on there. Um, and, you know, we'd love to hear any feedback, too. So you can drop us a line at the Knicks wall. Um, yeah, coming up, we got uh, Matt Spendley's got a piece on the wackiness of Jeff Hornacek's rotations coming up. Um, trying to settle on a starting lineup or what it might look like with or without Mello. So uh, that should be really cool. I'm looking forward to that. And um, yeah, I think that's all we get to plug today. So Bailey, thanks for coming on. Of course. Kyle, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right. Take it easy. And everyone else, you have a good day. Let's go tank. Hey,